the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Weekday evenings on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. It's 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. Host Daryl Wood brings you the day's news and trending topics as only he can with a unique blend of conservative opinion, constitutionalism, and thought-provoking analysis. Join the conversation. 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. A daily look at the news in a way you won't hear anywhere else. Tune in to 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. Or stream at PatriotDetroit.com. You are in, in what part of the country? <laughs> Southwest Colorado. Wonderful. How are you picking us up? Oh, I stream you guys on my uh, iPhone every day. Fantastic. Um, I, I am a resident of Sterling Heights, but uh, I frequently come to Southwest Colorado. I am just thrilled to be hearing from you out there in Colorado. Continue to listen, tune in again, and call at your earliest convenience. Godspeed. Run to Win with Daryl Wood, Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on Faith Talk Detroit. This is Next Steps for Seniors with your host, Wendy Jones. Each week, Wendy brings resources and information to help guide you through those next steps for your elderly parent or loved one. Now, here's Wendy Jones with this week's guest. Welcome to Next Steps for Seniors, Conversations on Aging. I'm your host, Wendy Jones. And as you know, each and every week, we do our best to bring pertinent information to you. Why? Because we all age and nobody wants to talk about it. But on this program, that's what we do because we're concerned about the future you. And our topic today is going to be peace of mind. And now you're probably wondering, peace of mind? Well, what gives you peace of mind? Well, I'm going to tell you what gives you peace of mind. Peace of mind is having your act together as you age, right? All the documents that you need, all the information that's pertinent. So we're going to cover a lot of information on this program this week because honestly, you'd be shocked how many calls come into my office and people do not have a POA, a power of attorney. And it's a very important document along with a lot of other documents like trusts and wills. We're going to talk about what a ladybird deed is. We're going to talk about the veterans aid and attendance benefit. We're going to talk about Medicaid. And who is the guest that's going to cover all this information with me today? None other than Robert Manor. Yes, he is an attorney, a fantastic elder law attorney. And has been in the industry, I think we go way back, Bob. Right. You're probably one of my first connections when I started my company. That's right. I think I so, was. Yeah. So I'm grateful to have you here today. Thank you for being here. Oh, I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. And, and, and your wealth of knowledge, I've already learned so much from Bob over the course of time. And so, you know, in looking at the calls that we get and you mm -hmm. get, right, one of the most important things is having these documents in order. Absolutely. And... A lot of people have a tendency to just kind of procrastinate on it. Mm -hmm. 
And unfortunately, it causes problems in the long run. Absolutely. So, you know, just to start, I would love to have you kind of share about these documents and what's the most important. My personal opinion is it's the power of attorney. Absolutely. How far am I? Is that basically yeah, the one? <laughs> I agree. I And most people are surprised by that. And you've been in the industry long enough to know how important that is, both for financial and for medical. But And they're usually separate, at least in our state. And I think in most states, they're going to be separate documents because they are triggered differently and they're used differently. So one for legal and financial and a separate one for medical and end-of-life decisions. And it's important that both of them be well thought out. But I consider it the most important because, you know, when you die, everything is going to work out eventually. Something, you know, they'll, it'll all work out. But what we want to make sure is that we've got good plans in place for your lifetime. That's, to me, more important than what happens to your money after you die. Right. We all think about what happens when we die, but the reality is what happens if you live. Exactly. And you live with, you know, these disease states are on the rise now. Mm. I mean, we've got Alzheimer's, we've got, you know, ALS, dementia, any type of diabetes. There's things that are happening every day. People are having strokes, heart strokes. attacks. Yeah. But but and it's happening at a younger and younger age. Absolutely. So we're living longer, but we're not as healthy as we used to be. Thus, thus why we need to have this information in place. So one of the things I do like to clarify is that, well, it is important to have the documents. It's also important that we have the right people appointed in those documents. They are very powerful documents, especially the legal financial one, because somebody could use that to take advantage of you and steal from you. So you don't want to appoint someone unless you, I always say, this is my famous line, you have to have somebody you love and trust. And if you don't have somebody you love and trust, don't appoint somebody as your power of attorney. If they uh, borrow money and don't return it from you, if they have stolen money from you in the past or were untrustworthy in the past, that just because somebody says you need a power of attorney, actually in that case you probably shouldn't. Now we have to go through the court system and there's there's protections in place for that. But it definitely has to be the right people. And I'm famous for saying this over and over. We only really are able to prepare or, um, uh, prepare ahead for people that have somebody they love and trust. And and frankly, anybody that does have somebody they love and trust, they should do this planning. Mm-hmm. So tell us why you would need it. What's the most okay. important part? So very good. So for those documents that I say are most important, the, one of the biggest issues as to why those are most important is because they're really only going to be most necessary if you aren't able to do it yourself. And so the alternative, if it turns out that you're not able to do it yourself, is that we end up having to go through a court process. And it's going to put not only difficulty on the family member or possible stranger that's going to be uh, appointed to do those things for you, it is also going to put restrictions on them. So instead of keeping the family matters in the family, now we're involving a court system and lawyers. And when we involve professional fiduciaries, things like that, they're going to be much more restricted as what uh, they're going to do. I had someone in my office uh, the other day who her daughter had been appointed a professional fiduciary. Well, the professional fiduciary, which was the guardian, ended up... um, putting this daughter into a care setting, which was not a very good care setting. And the mother knew that. And she said, well, I want to move my daughter to this much better care setting or bring her home and get her care in the house. And the guardian said, no, you can't do that. I'm in charge and I'm. it's fine for me to have her there. 
And those are the types of interferences of outsiders or the government that you don't want in your life. You want to have those people you love and trust making those decisions. Because you want it to be done the way you want it done. Right. And if we don't talk about this stuff in advance, you may end up in a situation like that. Right. So that's a great example. And that's what we don't want to happen. We want to be able to make those decisions and trust the people that are making those decisions for us. And if you are not cognitive, if you have a stroke and you can't talk, you need to have a voice that is there advocating for you. And I'm telling you, I've been in hospitals and everybody's trying to talk to the doctor and everybody's trying to, and the doctor says, I need to know who the power of attorney is. Mm -hmm. That is the number one question they ask you when you go into the nursing home, rehab, hospital, right? Any medical setting, who is the power of attorney? I can only talk to that person. So I think it's really important to understand that. The other part of it is that often, for example, what I do, whereas I can help people qualify for help paying for care or getting good care, uh, by the time you need that, you're not probably capable of coming in and saying, Bob, remember I heard you on the radio. I need help with that now. Can you help me? You're not going to be in a position to do that. You're going to need loved ones that have that authority to authorize that help. And so it's really important to get those while you're healthy. Sometimes people will call us up and say, we need a guardianship for my dad. I'm sorry, they'll say, we need a power of attorney for my dad. And then I ask them a couple of questions. It's clear that dad is not capable of giving power of attorney anymore. At that point, we have to go through court because there's no other option. Option. So we don't wait till we're sick to get these documents. We have to do it when we're healthy. And you know this. We have a, a, a thing right now where we're promoting that anybody over 18, 18 year olds going off to college should be getting these documents because if you get in a car accident, if you get into trouble with the law, if you go to the hospital, you're going to want somebody you love and trust to be able to help you and have access to information. You need an advocate. Anybody needs an advocate. And that's exactly why you need that. So And you need to be cognitive when you're making these decisions. Now, is it true that you need to have two signatures when you do assign a power of attorney? Every law, every state's going to be a little bit different, but I think it's pretty consistent that for medical, you need two witnesses and they have to uh, meet certain qualifications. They cannot be caregivers. They can't work for a caregiving company. They can't be relatives. They can't be people that you think are not relatives, like your daughter-in-law. That's considered a relative under these rules. So it has to be people that are not related to you and are not caregivers that, that are, are witnessing. witnesses on the healthcare document. For the financial and legal one, it can I in I know in Michigan and in most states, it's going to be either two witnesses or a notary or both. Interesting. That's why it's important not to go online and just pull out a document and sign it and think it's going to hold up because we there are certain reasons why you go through an attorney. Absolutely. I think this is so important uh, because if you think about it, this is your life, potentially literally your life. And when and when and if, you know, you're going to be kept alive on life support or your entire life savings can be exposed. And not all documents are created equally. My, I have one of the lawyers in my office say, hey, the documents are free. It's the advice that we're charging for. And it's, it's important because these are not, that. you shouldn't be filling in these forms, not knowing what it is you're signing. It, these are so powerful forms, literally life and death, literally your entire life savings. You should not be doing this lightly and downloading a form and filling in the blanks. That is not going to be sufficient, and it's, it's probably not going to do what you want it to do. So I want to move in a little bit to wills and trusts. Sure. And we're going to cover this in the second segment, too, because we only have a minute left. (laughs) But I would say 
honestly, when, when asking the question, how many people have a power of attorney when we call, when they call our office, I would say 25% of the people have it done. Mm-hmm. Wills and trusts is even lower. Sure. Now, I don't know. I'm sure you're getting a ton of calls too. But can you talk to our listeners a little bit about what is a will and why mm-hmm. you need it? Yeah, great. So a will is the the government uh, assigned document that empowers the probate court to open an estate. It does not have any legal effect without a probate court putting it into effect which is why people sometimes want to use trusts because that's where you're empowering your family. You're empowering empowering your people you love and trust rather than having a court do it. So there is a significant difference, and we're going to get into a trust in the next segment because I know my husband and I have a trust mm-hmm. for this exact reason. You want to be able to know exactly what's going to happen. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll be talking further about that and continue this conversation on aging because, yes, it happens to all of us, and we need to be prepared in advance. We'll be back in just a moment. Welcome back to Next Steps for Seniors, Conversations on Aging. Our topic today, peace of mind. And we're here today with Bob Manor from Manor Law Group. And he's very knowledgeable and understands why these documents are important. We're going to just learn as much as we can from his knowledge base. But we're moving into trusts in this segment. And we're also going to be talking about prenuptial agreements, second marriages. You know, the divorce rate is really now in the nation 50% or higher. So most families are dealing with this as a topic when it comes to divorce. So let's talk about trusts first, why you need it, and then move into this, you know, prenup situation and why that's so important. Um, So wills you talked about in the first, in the last segment there, um, and it just being a document that basically probate court can use. Right. It has to be activated or authorized by the probate court. But if you're pre-planning, a trust could be a good thing and, and kind of explain why that would be. Yeah, very good. So trust, first of all, you usually do have a will with the trust, mm-hmm. but only as a backup. The idea is the will, ideally, we don't end up having to go through any probate court. It's always going to be there as a backup. So what is a trust, really? When it really boils it down to it, what is it? It's just a contract. It's a contract between those, you and those you love and trust or, you know, your family. No pun on words. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. And so it's the nice thing about it is because it's a contract, you can put in all kinds of contingencies and all kinds of options. Often people try to do estate planning and have it look really simple. So they say, oh, I'm going to get a deed or I'm going to get... Uh, I'm going to add somebody's name to something. Well, that only solves it if everything goes the way you expect it to go. How often does life work out that way? Not very often. You cannot predict what life is going to be like in 10 years or 20 years or next week. And so the idea of a trust is not only is it a contract between you and them, it can put in all of the contingencies, all of the options. People will make fun of lawyers sometimes because they are so verbose or they write so many words. But that's the advantage of a trust is that we can think through all those options. If you say, sometimes you say, well, you mentioned in a second, we're going to be talking about in a second, second marriages. Sometimes we'd like to say in the trust, we say, okay, well, I want to make sure my love, my spouse is going to have access to this money and have not want for anything that I could have provided for them if I die first. But if they don't use it, I want to make sure 
here, it goes to my kids. And if you just leave it to them, in fact, you are almost guaranteeing it's not going to go to your kids. It's going to go to their kids. And so that's an example how the trust can be very flexible. You can provide protections for, if you leave it to your kids, protections for them from uh, their liabilities. If they got divorced, that they don't lose their inheritance in a divorce. There's all kinds of things that you can put into a trust that you can't put into a will. Well, and I think it's important a lot of people go to the attorney, get this all this paperwork, pay the price. You know, they have this huge binder they walk home with, and everything's all cool. And then they, and then guess what they forget to do? <laughs> Fund their trust. Exactly. You got to put. You physically have to put your house in there and your yeah. accounts in there. You have to fund it. Right? And keep it that way through the years. So we have an annual check-in with our clients, for example, and it is something that you really should look at every year because life changes a lot in a year. There might, you might have, your bank might have changed names. You might have switched banks. You might have switched financial advisors. You might have sold your house and bought a condo. Well, you need to update that into the, you know, so that those assets are in the trust. And that's not hard to do. You just need a reminder. And so we do that for our clients. It's not something that's standard in the industry. Most lawyers don't do that. But if you have a trust, it's one of those things that you really, really should be doing is at least once a year, pull it out, look at your assets, make sure that your assets are in the trust because they change. One little variation on this that we've seen quite a bit lately is banks changing names where they got bought out by a bigger bank or whatever. What we found is a lot of times the new bank didn't pull over the beneficiary designations from the old bank, or they didn't pull over some of that information. So if it changed names, you might need to make sure that that they have the trust information. Correctly, exactly. I want this is a good point to point out that Bob Manor also has a podcast called Advice from Your Advocate. So you can search that on any podcast platform just like next steps for seniors exactly and you can get some of this advice right by listening to a podcast because we him and i both like to talk about the stuff that nobody wants to talk about right, right. because it's important it happens to everybody mm-hmm. we all age some we're going to pass away at some point in time we want to have our ducks in ducks in a row so to speak we've got to have everything set up correctly and i do feel like moving into this segment from trusts it's important when you're either divorced once or twice or mm-hmm. sometimes three times, maybe you're widowed, whatever the case may be. Let's talk a little bit about like what that does to a family and to the children. Why so why a prenup, yeah. for example? It's you know, it's really important to think about because I know when people are getting married, they're really not thinking about the possibility of divorce most of the time, even if they've been divorced before. And I get that. Or you're worried that your 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 uh, mate, your your fiance is gonna be offended if you bring up the idea of a, a, a prenuptial agreement. And so but the biggest part, just as much as divorce is the issue of what happens when you die. And a prenuptial agreement can deal with that too. And while you might not get divorced, you will die. (laughs) Right. One or the other is probably going to happen at some point. (laughs) And so the thing is, if you think about it, if you don't have a prenuptial agreement, have you just set yourself up for a uh, situation where your kids might end up getting cut out of the estate? Where you might have, you know... Uh, worked really hard and you were hoping that you would be able to leave something to your kids and now you die first it goes to your spouse and what's the natural tendency it's going to go to their kids now they could choose to do a will or a trust or something like that to include your kids but if you haven't done that planning ahead of time 
there's uh, and you just let the law take effect the law doesn't say that stepkids get anything the law specifically said stepkids do not get anything so if we don't have a plan in place and ideally a prenuptial agreement so that there's not some confusion later on you agree to all these terms up front there's a real likelihood that you're rolling the dice and whoever lives longest their family is going to get all the assets well and i'll be honest i've got a story that lines up with this um similar situation husband and wife uh, i think it was his second wife and he was taking care of her Mm -hmm. she was living in the house and he was literally caring for her doing everything for her and she was she was well off Mm -hmm. and prior to her you know cognitive decline everything was going to the husband Mm -hmm. well because it was the second second husband Mm -hmm. the kids were never dreamt that that's what mom would do. I mean, of course mom would give us the money. Well, m- kids were not involved in this process at all. Didn't see mom. Nothing happened with mom. They never had a relationship, really a good one. So when mom died, of course all the money went to the husband. And let me tell you, it was disastrous. Oh, I bet. And it breaks my heart because I'm. this is really important. Hear me out on this and I'm passionate about it. It breaks up families. Mm-hmm. And the last thing any parent would ever want is two siblings fighting against each other, a, a, a stepdad or a stepmom fighting against the kids of the other. It's not worth it. Mm-hmm. And the only way to avoid all this is to do exactly what you're saying. Get a trust, put it in the trust, have the names there, and make sure it's updated. And look at a prenuptial agreement. So, you know, Sometimes we can do some of that with trust work, but if we want to have the, the security to know that my, I'm, my kids are never going to be cut out, it would be a combination of the two, a trust and a mm-hmm. prenuptial agreement. Yeah, because this is exactly what happens when when something like that. And of, of course, like I said, 50, divorce rate is over fifty percent. Right. So it's not. And th- these are blended families. You've got kids from one marriage, another marriage. I mean, it's it's challenging. So the prenup agreement is the way to manage that with the trust. I will tell you that one of the things that I see frequently when folks come in. Uh, and they have a prenuptial agreement. That prenuptial agreement kind of stayed in place for the first couple of years of the marriage. But as years go by, they start commingling their assets. That's just natural. The longer you're married to somebody, the more likely you're going to commingle your assets. Well, as soon as you start commingling assets, that prenuptial agreement's out the window for any of those assets that got commingled. So it's one of those things that you have to kind of have somebody, a reliable advisor, that can remind you of these things from time to time so that you don't do good planning and let it become obsolete because of life. Let me ask you this. When it comes to a trust, is there a certain period of time that they need to be executed within? Mm, you know, not really. Uh, you know, ideally, it, we like it so that both spouses, if you're married, can be involved. And so it, it, ideally, we're not doing it after one spouse becomes uh, incapacitated. Of course, we have to do it then. Of course, if you don't have anything, we have to do it then. But I would lo- have loved to have heard from both spouses and gotten the intentions of both spouses. Because, you know, especially if it's a second marriage or blended family, what was the intent? Now, you know, maybe it's something that you've talked about, but you'd be surprised how many families don't talk about these things because nobody likes talking about death and illness and those types of things. And and so it's important to, to sit down with that advisor, ideally when you're still good, you know, still both competent and capable. Um, but, you know, if it's too late, it's too late and it's still important to get the planning done. What is your opinion on putting your child on your bank account? I say don't do it. Um, and I and I have no hesitation saying don't do it. 
there's many ways to accomplish the same goal without the liability of putting them on your bank account. When you put them on your bank account, you're taking on their debts. Any money that they owe to anybody because of a divorce, because of foreclosure of the house, because of a car accident, because of a lawsuit, because they didn't pay their credit card bill, is now your debt. And, they, and that's just a bad idea. So if you want it so that they can access it, you can use a trust. You can use a power of attorney. We can set that up legally with the bank without having them be a signer on the account. So incredibly important. You're listening to Next Steps for Seniors. We're going to be back in just a moment to talk about Medicaid. You're listening to The Patriot, FM 101.5, AM 1400. Welcome back to Next Steps for Seniors, Conversations on Aging. We are here today with our topic of peace of mind. Our guest in the studio is Mr. Bob Manor from the Manor Law Group. And again, he does have a podcast called Advice from Your Advocate. So him and I have been friends for over 10 years and really have referred back and forth for years. And it's fascinating how much we learn from each other. Absolutely. And, um, and we really are here to benefit you. That's our goal. So I wanted to go back. We talked a little bit about the bank and not putting names on, mm-hmm. uh, kids' names on your bank account. But let's talk about this question because if there is a dementia diagnosis, now, listeners, I don't know if you know this, but one in three over the age of 65 is what they're projecting could die from Alzheimer's. Wow. So this is a huge, huge chronic disease state that we need to be aware of. So if there is a diagnosis of this, do you need to update or change any of your legal documents? What do you recommend? Yes, it is very important that early, fairly early on if possible, and I would say it's never too late. There's always things that we can do, but fairly early on if possible, we're going to want to acknowledge that dementia diagnosis. And this is one of those things where I have to sound a little bit self-serving, which is you really need to see an elder law attorney, someone that specializes or focuses their practice almost entirely on elder law, because most estate planning attorneys, which are fantastic, I love, uh, there's some really great, fantastic estate planning attorneys that don't do elder law. And there is a difference. And elder law kind of focuses on the what about the rest of your life, not just what happens when you die. And the issue is most estate planning attorneys aren't going to understand that because of that dementia diagnosis, we probably need to change and update your documents. I'll give you a quick example. What do, I, 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 without, I, I can say this uh, and be that magical person that can predict things. I haven't even read your will or trust if any of the listeners. I, I, I know what it says if you're married, and I'm not entirely certain, but most vast majority of the time, I know what your will or trust says if you're married. It says, when I die, everything goes to my spouse, or at least a good portion of it, right? Here's the problem. What if the healthy spouse dies first? What if the spouse without dementia dies first? Which the statistics tell us happen most of the time. When we have a spouse with dementia, I often call the other spouse the caregiver spouse because that's almost always what happens is that the other spouse is the caregiver spouse. Guess what? That comes with a lot of stress. A lot of, you know, this caregiver spouse dies first the majority of the time when one spouse has dementia. So now we're left with everything goes to the spouse with dementia. That is probably the worst thing that could happen. With proper planning, and a lot of estate planning attorneys don't know this if they don't participate, if they don't do elder law as a primary focus, 
We don't want everything just to go directly to that spouse with dementia. They're not capable of managing it, and now it's all exposed to their cost of care. So there's ways to set that up that a good elder law attorney would know that says, okay, we want to have somebody else that you love and trust be in charge of that money. It's for the benefit of your spouse, but it's set aside in something called a testamentary trust for their benefit. That way it's protected for Medicaid purposes, you don't have to spend down those assets and it's being properly managed because the spouse with dementia can't manage it anymore. That's a that's one example of I could give you probably 20 examples of things that you might do differently once one spouse has a um, has a diagnosis of dementia. Well, and I've got a story on that because I did have a client that had dementia and last minute, and I'm going to say it was pretty advanced stages, the son calls the attorney and says, hey, my mom wants this changed, mm-hmm. wants her trust changed. And the attorney's like, well, not the last time I talked to your mom, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Right. So, oh, yeah, instead of 50-50, it's supposed to be 90-10. And the attorney didn't do it. Yeah. You, I mean, legally, you can't. I wouldn't either. Yeah. I get that call. I've had that call many times. And I, I sometimes I'm pretty sure that they're telling the truth, honestly. But I can't do that because if mom's not capable of, that's called either undue influence or that they're not capable of making that decision. So once they're in what's called a diminished capacity, so they have memory loss, they've been diagnosed, if they if there's not, there there is already a presumption that there might be undue influence if we're changing the percentage of distribution or something like that. So you've got to really uh, be careful about that. And it sometimes it, it's um, something that bothers me because we have one child who really stepped up and quit their job and is taking care of them and they're impoverishing themselves to take care of their mother. And I'm convinced mom would have probably given them 90%, but I can't change it at that point. Exactly. So it's really important to have these conversations up front. Okay, I want to switch gears and go to Medicaid. Um, I mentioned listeners that we'd be talking about Medicaid. So Medicaid, I'm going to have you kind of describe it, but it's a joint federal and state program. And did you know that 26% approximately of our population in the U.S. is utilizing Medicaid? That's very interesting. I did not know that until today. So explain to explain to our listeners about Medicaid and why it's so, you know, it's... Everybody kind of has an idea of what Medicaid is, like, right? Medicare does insurance, Medicaid, but but I want to hear it from the attorney's mouth. Okay, so a couple things. So I I believe that Medicaid is an insurance program. Some people call it a welfare program. I say it's not a welfare program. It's an insurance program, like Medicare. I wish they didn't name them so close. Similar, right? Everyone gets confused. I have a quick example that I think is a really relevant example, and it's my parents'. So my dad had open heart surgery. We, you know, we tried everything else. They said, nope, this is, it has to be open heart surgery. Well, I kept track of his bills. And so who pays for open heart surgery? Well, Medicare. Medicare. Right. And then my dad was a GM employee, so he got Blue Cross. So between Blue Cross and Medicare, but mostly Medicare, about 80% of the bills paid by Medicare, I added up all the bills that they paid. It, over about a two-year period, it cost about $600,000 that was paid for by the government and by Blue Cross. My mom, on the other hand, had Alzheimer's. She needed care, too. That's a disease, too. She, on the wheel of fortune of life, she got a different disease than dad. How much did Medicare pay for her Alzheimer's care? 
Zero. How much did Blue Cross pay for her Alzheimer's care? Zero. Because Alzheimer's care is continuing care. We need supervision. We need somebody to make sure that she's not going to be of harm to herself, that she's not going to wander away, to make sure that she's fed and dressed and cleaned and all of those types of things. And those are things that that's part of the disease too. And I counted, it was only about 200000 that it cost uh, mom over that same time frame of, of two years. But they were expected under and the, the thought that this is welfare that you're supposed to go broke if you get Alzheimer's, but not if you get heart disease. And that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So when I started looking into it, uh, Medicaid is a insurance program. Guess what? If you look at your paycheck, if you're still working, you look at your paycheck, they take money out for Medicare. They also take money out for Medicaid. They've taken money out of every paycheck. People say, well, I, I paid into Medicare. I earned that. You also earn Medicaid. And there's ways, so I look at it as, yes, part of it is a welfare program for people that are indigent or low income, and that is part of the program. But there's a lot of the people that qualify for Medicaid because of certain disabilities. There's people that qualify for Medicaid because they are over 65 and need long-term care. And that's one of the things I work with people on because there's different things that you can do, different strategies to qualify for long-term care Medicaid without having to spend down or lose all your assets. It's uh, simpler if you're married because there's some protections for a spouse. But even for a single person, we can often protect assets and still qualify for long-term care Medicaid. So I think one of the most important things, and you tell me, is the five-year look-back period for Medicaid. That's one strategy. And people get very focused on that five-year look-back. So when I start talking to them about other strategies, they say, well, didn't we have to do this five years in advance? That is a strategy. If you want to plan five years in advance, that's great. That's probably your safest strategy. But there's also last-minute strategies. I call them crisis strategies. If we're married, we can often use those spousal protections, those spousal safe harbors. Even as a single person, there's often many strategies where we can protect a good portion of the assets through using legal strategies. Now, when people hear legal strategies, they think, oh, you're, you're, you're being sleazy here. Not at all. They wrote the law. We're following the law, just like people do with taxes. You know, you take a tax deduction because that means you pay less taxes. They wrote that into the law. You're not being sleazy for taking a tax deduction. They wrote that into the law. When it comes to Medicaid, they wrote in these options in the law. It's just you know how, you have to know how to do it. I learned a long time ago that I had to hire a CPA my, because I own a couple of businesses, things like that. I can't do my own taxes because I know I'd miss too many of the deductions. So, yes, I have to hire a professional who focuses their whole life on taxes to make sure I'm taking all the deductions, but that's the same thing with Medicaid. They have these options in the law to protect yourself, to protect your assets. It's just you have to hire the right people that focus on that because they keep changing the law on us and it keeps getting more complicated, but you got to hire the right And and this is a good point for me to say, I really do feel like a elder law attorney Mm -hmm. is critical when it comes to Medicaid. There is no doubt in my mind, it is the best way to go because you are knowledgeable, you understand the guidelines, what needs to happen when and where and how. And don't just go through the phone book, you need a certified elder law attorney. Right. Really critical, no matter what state you're in. If you're in Michigan, Bob, give your phone number because I want people to have it. <laughs> oh, thank you. It's 800-990-6030. So that's the toll-free number. But definitely do your research. Right. You want to have a good relationship. I mean, what are the most important things about an attorney? Somebody you trust. Yeah, yeah. somebody you trust, somebody that has a track record. Uh, that's the key.
It really is. You're listening to Next Steps for Seniors, Conversations on Aging. Moving into our last program, we are going to be talking about aid in attendance and the veterans' benefit. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Patriot, FM 101.5, AM 1400. Welcome back to Next Steps for Seniors, Conversations on Aging. Our topic today, peace of mind. And we're here with Bob Manor from Manor Law Group, who has been an elder law attorney for many years. How long has it been now? Yeah, I'm, uh, I don't like to admit it, but I'm going on 27 <laughs> years now. <laughs> I've only known him for like 11, so I'm going to go with that. But but yeah, we've covered a lot of ground. I mean, we've we talked about the powers of attorney, why those are important, wills, trusts, and how critical it is to have, you know, we talked about second marriages, third marriages, children, prenuptial agreements. You know, honestly, moving into this segment, because we've touched on so much, we're going to talk about the veterans benefits, Mm -hmm. because there are a lot of benefits out there that people are not aware of. And I'm also going to give you a quick tip of the day at the end of the program and a Q&A Q question. So be sure to stay tuned because if you want to know what a ladybird deed is, that's my Q&A question. I'm giving it to you up front. Okay. So Bob, moving into veterans. First, I want to say to anyone listening to this program, thank you. Thank you for serving our country. Thank you for doing what you've done. Thank you for stepping up because not many people thank you sometimes. And right. I am going to go on. Yeah, I'm going on the record saying we appreciate you. Yeah. And thank you. Absolutely. I, double, I I second that for sure. So talk to us about how many different benefits are there to a veteran? Yeah. So when I'm going to be focusing on the ones that deal with care and providing long-term care, care in the home, those types of things, because there's so many of them, you can't even count. And, it, and they deserve this benefit. And many right. people don't realize they have it if they served our country. And sometimes they go on to the spouse or surviving spouse of the veteran, which is important to remember too. Yeah, definitely. So t- let's talk about aid and attendance first. Yeah, so let's start off with that one. That's the one that seems to get the most attention in the last few years. It can be a very good benefit because it's basically, uh, it's not designed this way, but it really in practice is a reimbursement program where you get reimbursed for the cost of long-term care. Uh, really, this works best for a recurring continued uh, payment. So sometimes people say, well, I need a ramp and I need a lift chair and I need a, a bed and will the VA pay for that? Maybe, but not through the aid and attendance program. <laughs> the aid and attendance program is designed for those monthly reoccurring fees. Care costs. It's yeah. going to typically be care costs. It mm-hmm. could be home care. It could be paying your granddaughter. If you do that, we got to have special documentation for that with a notarized contract contract, but it could be assisted living. It could be independent living where we're getting additional care and independent living. could be nursing home, could be any number of those things. It's cash. It's actually cash that goes into an account for you. And so uh, it does have to be where the veteran uh, has served in a wartime period. So Korea, Vietnam, World War II, Gulf War. Um, but there are periods of time that are not considered wartime periods. So in between uh, Korea and Vietnam, period between Vietnam and the Gulf War, then you're not going to qualify for that particular program. But all you need is one day of service during a wartime period, 90 days of total service, and then there's some uh, asset limitations. So there's some income limitations, but those get a bit complicated. Basically, uh, it works best if you're spending more on your care than you're bringing in. As I income. say that every time. As long as you're spending more on care than you're bringing in, you're good. Yeah. 
The other limitation, or the asset limitation, uh, is a bit more complicated, and it changes a bit every year. You can have a house of any value. You could have a $7 million house, and it doesn't count. Uh, you could have multiple cars. It's, it's, uh, it's a unique program. But as far as the countable assets you can have, currently it's about 160000 and that changes every year as how much uh, money you can have that's considered countable assets. And there's not a whole lot you can do except plan three years in advance on that one. They changed the rules on us. So if you want to prepare to receive veterans benefits and that aid and attendance benefit in the future, you really want to start thinking about it about three years before you think you might need home care, assisted living, things like that. And, and that's is good for even the spouse as well, three years in advance. Absolutely. Like, let's be thinking about that. I, my mother-in-law, her husband passed away, but he was a veteran, mm-hmm. you know, so we can take advantage of that, which is a huge benefit. What are some of the other veterans' benefits available? This is my favorite topic because aid and attendance gets so much attention. I wish these other benefits would get more attention. So the big one is what I call compensation, what the Veterans Administration calls compensation. Most veterans call it disability, and they get a percentage. So many, many veterans have 10% for hearing loss. They have uh, 20% for, uh, you know, uh, something else. Maybe it's PTSD. It's, uh, you know, maybe they were shot and they, you know, were, were affected during service. Maybe they got malaria during service. Anything that can be tied back to your time in service, they call it service-connected compensation. Where this has come about to be a big thing right now is a lot of the people that are moving into that senior age are Vietnam veterans. And if you were in Vietnam, you were exposed to Agent Orange, or at least that's what the the military says. You don't have to prove anymore that you were exposed to Agent Orange. We just assume you were exposed to Agent Orange. And they've got uh, three pages of different illnesses, many, many common ones that we see, like diabetes or heart disease or uh, Parkinson's or Parkinsonsism. There's so many of them that are tied to that, that if you have that disease and you were in Vietnam, you should be getting some money from the VA. And that's a big one. That's That's, huge. That's huge. Please, listeners, talk to your elder law attorney. Talk to the Veterans Association. I mean, this is, and that's in every state. And even if it's not on the list, sometimes you can get benefits. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of cancers on there. Well, if you have a cancer that's not listed, you should still apply because it might be added later. Or sometimes they even grant it to you even though it's not on the list. Uh, So any cancers, if you were in Vietnam, you you should apply. If you get a certain percentage, over 70%, that comes with a whole bunch of other benefits, like they might pay for your nursing home for you. They might provide a free assisted living. There's a number of things, once you get past 70%, that you can get from the VA for free. So once you get past, it's called the Service Connected Compensation. Yes. And when, when you're saying past 70% of, what <laughs> do you mean? It's VA math, so they okay. assign a percentage of disability to it. Oh, so like hearing loss, for example. Loss if if 70% one. of your hearing is gone, then well, it's more, it's, I call it VA math because the math doesn't make any okay. sense. <laughs> so you could have 10% for hearing loss and 50% for cancer and uh, 80% for uh, something else. And they'll say, well, that we add up the 10% and the uh, 60% and the 80%, that equals 75%. <laughs> okay, got it. <laughs> the VA is, uh, has their formulas that they figure this out. Okay. There's one other VA benefit that I want to talk about, and that's the VA health services. This is really important. If you see a VA doctor, or want to start seeing a VA doctor, VA doctors have an ability that regular doctors don't. They can, I call it, prescribe home care. 
So a regular doctor can prescribe a skilled person to come in, so a nurse or a physical therapist, occupational therapist, something like that, but they only come in for an hour or half hour or something like that. A VA doctor can prescribe home care for somebody to help them get dressed in the morning, help you know maintain them throughout the day, help them prepare meals and clean up after themselves. A VA doctor is able to prescribe that that a regular doctor cannot do. And that is great information to know for sure. So we're moving back. We got three minutes left in the program. My Q&A question, which I think is going to be really important for a lot of listeners, and thank you for all that info on VA, because we do forget about those other benefits. Right. And, and if you are a veteran, you definitely want to do your research on that. Okay, Q&A question of the day. What is a ladybird deed? Well, in Michigan and many other states, we call it a labor deed. Other states might call it a transfer on death deed or something mm-hmm. like that. And that's basically what it is. If you've ever had a, a, a bank account or a bond and it said TOD or POD, payable on death, transfer on death, that's basically what a ladybird deed is. That's the result of a ladybird deed. The, the te- technical part of it is much more complicated. Now, here's the issue. That sounds so simple. I'm not a big fan of using ladybird deeds for estate planning purposes. I really think it's a bad idea to to have it go a ladybird deed to uh, a bunch of people. Like if you have three kids and you're going to do a transfer on deaths of the three kids, you can't divide up a house the same way you I was just going to say, cash. everybody does this for a house. Yeah, don't do it. I don't recommend it. I say to use a trust. And then if you want to use a ladybird deed to the trust, that's fine. Now the trust has the mechanism to resolve any issues. But I don't, uh, you've recommended it as an estate planning technique where we're transferring it to more than one person. Is it only for houses? Is that what the ladybird deed is used for? Is it any item? Uh, any residential uh, property you can use a ladybird deed for. I'd have to look up if you could do it for commercial property. I, I've never tried. <laughs> See, I just stumped the attorney. <laughs> okay, so my tip of the day, everyone, is... Oh, wait, I got one more question. Care <laughs> contract. This is important. Oh, yeah. Talk to us about a care contract. Yeah, that came up in a minute ago when you said, uh, or I said. You talked about, about the granddaughter. Benefits. I was like, wait, wait, wait. If okay. you pay a granddaughter, uh, in Michigan at least, and probably other states, uh, you have to have a notarized care contract that's probably drawn up by an attorney. There's a bunch of specifics that it has to have. Otherwise, you could be penalized for Medicaid. So if you're going to pay a family member for care, you probably have to follow all the Medicaid rules, even if you're using it for veterans' benefits. But you can. You can do it. We just have to have a contract. And, it, and you recommend doing that through an attorney, obviously. I do, simply because it's a there's a lot of preciseness of that contract. I don't think a lot of people knew that you could actually do that. Oh, yeah. So I think that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Both veterans and Medicaid, you're saying? Yeah, Medicaid, it gets more uh, more difficult to, to get the family member reimbursed, but VA for sure. Okay, well, there you go. So tip of the day, and I think this is important because Bob Manor talked about your trusts and how important it is to keep them updated. Now, he calls his clients every year, but not every elder law attorney does that. In fact, I don't, I'm going to gather most of them don't. So anytime you buy a new property, sell something, a new marriage, you know, all of this stuff needs to come into into contact with, oh my goodness, I forgot I need to update my trust. So please, if nothing else, take away from this program, review your trust, and be sure to look at that. You're listening to The Patriot FM 101.5 AM 1400. Thank you for tuning in to Peace of Mind Topic, Next Steps for Seniors, Conversations on Aging.
You've been listening to this week's edition of Next Steps for Seniors with your host, Wendy Jones. You can reach Wendy with any questions you have at area 248-651-5010. That's 248-651-5010. Join us again next week as Wendy provides more information and resources for those important next steps for your elderly parent or loved one. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.